Go with me to John chapter 1. Would you please? John chapter 1 and verses 35 through 42. John chapter 1 and verses 35 through 42 this morning as we return to our study in the Gospel of John. Verse 35 starts out much like our passage last week. Follow along with me as I read from my copy of God's Word. I hope you have your copy of God's Word with you and you will follow along. Let's look at it together. John 1, verse 35. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak And followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, So you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Last week, we came to verses 29 through 34 and found that Jesus is called the Lamb of God. And we saw John the Baptist's testimony about the Lamb of God. We noted it last time that the imagery of the sacrificial lamb having its blood shed as a sacrifice for sin would have been as vivid uh, for it would have been more vivid for the people in that time who, who heard John call out, Behold the Lamb of God, than it is for us. But it's made more vivid for us as we read the Bible, isn't it? And people of God's Word will understand the imagery of this when, when John points to Jesus and says, Behold or look the Lamb of God. This imagery is fresh in our minds. If you read the Old Testament and you read the New Testament, you're familiar with this. People in John the Baptist's day were very familiar with the Jewish sacrificial system and they were very familiar with the idea that daily animal sacrifices were made because God had made it very clear throughout Israel's history that sin and separation from him could only be removed by the blood of a spotless sacrifice, a perfect lamb being sacrificed, a blood animal sacrifice. Now, let's remember that John the Apostle's purpose in writing this gospel, is to show us just who Jesus is. He wants us to see Jesus as God in human flesh. He wants us to see that, to understand it, so that we will believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing have what? Life in his name, right? John twenty thirty one. So when John the Baptist makes this wonderful statement we saw in verse 29, telling us that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, let me just tell you, this is significant. You need to think about this as something, as this, this is profound and significant. It's very likely 
it's very possible and it's more than likely that John did not even understand the significance of what he said at the time. But having the New Testament, having the Old Testament, being people of God's word, we, we understand, don't we? We understand more fully even than John possibly did at that moment in time when he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We understand more fully because of God's word, don't we? And remember what we learned about that statement. That statement where it says, Jesus being the, the Lamb of God, we talked about this last week, who takes away the sin of the world, that does not mean that everyone will be saved. That's universalism. That does not mean that. What it means is that salvation is available to everyone worldwide. Available is to, is a, God's salvation through Jesus Christ is available to all of mankind. Everyone without distinction between race or class or ethnicity. Salvation isn't only for the Jews is basically what John was saying. Look, he takes away the sin of the world. It's not just for the Jews. Salvation isn't only for the Jews. It's for all who believe in the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, is the once for all sacrifice, says Hebrews 7.27, for all who believe in Jesus' name. The once for all sacrifice. He's the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. Now, when we come to verses 35 through 42, we find what happens when you believe that Jesus is the Lamb of God. Last week, we said, what's John's testimony about Jesus, the Lamb of God? We saw that. Now, this week, we come to answer this question, and I think the the question is very clearly answered in the text. What happens when you believe that Jesus is the Lamb of God? Several things will happen. This passage is like an illustration of the progression that faith takes in the life of a person who puts their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. What happens in the life of a sinner when they place their faith in Christ? Let's look. Verse 35 indicates a new day in the progression of chapter 1. Remember the day before this was the day John the Baptist saw Jesus coming and said, verse 29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And we've seen repeatedly in chapter 1 that John's method of ministry has been about pointing people to Christ, right? He's been all about showing the way to Christ and pointing people to Christ. He's been saying that he's just a messenger. He's just a voice crying out in the wilderness. John's testimony has been consistent from the beginning. Day in and day out, John was all about pointing people to Jesus. John's testimony has consistently been that Jesus is the Christ, Jesus is the Messiah, He's the Savior, and He's the one you should follow. That's John's message. John the Baptist's message has been that. John the Apostle has been writing this gospel so that we'd believe this and follow Christ. Now, the day before this day, beginning in verse 35, when John saw Jesus coming, he effectively said, when he saw Jesus coming for the first time, he basically said at this point in the gospel, he basically just said, look, there's Jesus, there's the Lamb of God, you follow him. He didn't use those words necessarily, but that's effectively what he was saying. He's saying, because he's teaching, he's been preaching about the Savior who would come. And these people are standing around and he's effectively saying, all that I've taught you leads to him. That's him. That's the Lamb of God. And effectively saying, follow him. 
Look, there's, there's the Lamb of God. You follow Him. You believe in Him because He's the one who will take away your sin if you believe in Him. Now it's the next day. And here He is again when He sees Jesus walking by. And verse 35 and 36 says, The next day again John was standing with two of His disciples and He looked at Jesus as He walked by and said, He said it again. This man's on message, isn't he? He's on message. He says, again, behold the Lamb of God. Or, look, the Lamb of God. Now, do you see in verse 35 that it says that John the Baptist is with two of his disciples? Now, that just means that these were individuals who had aligned themselves with John and his teaching. These are people who had aligned themselves, come alongside John as teacher and had aligned themselves with him and his teaching. They weren't following John so much as they were following his teaching. And I think that that becomes pretty obvious when we see what happens in verse 37, because look at verse 37. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Now, what happens when you believe that Jesus is the Lamb of God? That Jesus is the one who takes away sin. I know some of you are thinking, you follow him, and yes, but don't get ahead of me. Alright? Because I'm thinking about John the Baptist's testimony right now. And I want you to think about the testimony of John the Baptist. If you're John the Baptist, and you're proclaiming the, the Messiah, right? And you see the Messiah, and you're gonna do what? You're gonna send people to follow him, right? You're going to send people to follow him. John the Baptist wasn't about making followers of himself. He was about making followers of Christ, wasn't he? He was about making people who would say, yeah, I believe in Jesus Christ and I'm going to follow him. That's why, again, when he sees Jesus passing by, he points people to the Lamb of God again. He's about sending people to follow Christ. May I suggest to you this morning that 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 same thing is the responsibility of all Christians and churches and preachers today. We ought to be all about sending people kind of away from us to follow Christ. That's our responsibility. We're not to be making followers of ourselves. We're not to be making followers of Higgins Lake Baptist Church. We're not to be making followers of any one particular man. We're to be about making followers of who? Of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Right? Why? Why make followers of Christ? Because here's, here's the big major, here's the major reason. Because we can't take away anyone's sin. Can you? No, no, I can, I can say that confidently. <laughs> that you and I, we cannot take away anyone's sin. But who can? The Lamb of God, right? Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And so we're all, we ought to be all about sending people after Christ. Now, you want to know how God grows His church? It's when God's people love Christ so much that they can't help but send people after Christ. They can't help themselves. They can't stop themselves because they love Christ so much. That is how God grows His church. Um, I trust that's why you're here today. 
I trust that's why you're here today, because you want to love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. You want to love the Lord Jesus Christ. You want to know Him more. You want to serve Him more faithfully. And I trust that if that's your desire, God will grow us as a church. He will grow us, first of all, and primarily, and most importantly, He will grow us spiritually. He will strengthen us into a strong flock, a strong people who are strong in the faith, and know Him personally, and follow Him closely, and walk in His ways. And when we do, we will not be able to help ourselves. We will not be able to stop ourselves from telling others about Jesus Christ and sending them to Him. I trust that's why you're here today. If you're a follower of Christ, I trust you want to know Him more, and love Him more, and become more and more faithful to Him through obedience to His Word. People will be saved And God will grow His church when God's people are growing in their love for the Lord Jesus Christ because of His grace and His mercy through His shed blood for their sins. Amen? Because of the Lamb of God. That's why God has given you His Word. Don't ever lose sight of that. That's why God has given you His Word so you can know Him. You want to know God? You want to know His Son? You have a Bible, right? You probably have several Bibles, right? We have no excuse, do we? This week I was trying to concentrate on a passage of Scripture, and, I, and I'm privileged to have, I have an audio Bible. Do you have one of those? And, and I can put, I, I plugged in the, the, the chapters that I was reading so that I could listen to them and read them at the same time. You want to talk about privileged to have God's Word? That's you and me. We are privileged to to be able to listen to God's Word, to be able to read God's Word for ourselves, to be able to, to think about God's Word, to be able to study God's Word, to have godly men and women who have expounded on God's Word and studied and, 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 and got in the nitty-gritty of God's Word and help us understand it and apply it to our lives. But God's Word is yours for the taking. God's Word can be, can be obtained by you. It is not out of your reach. You can read God's Word and you can study it for yourself. And that is why God gave us His Word so that we would know Him more, so that from the overflow of our lives we would glorify Him. And as we glorify Him, we make Him known. That's how God grows the church. That's how He does it. It's not so much our schemes and our plans and our, you know, our wily thinking about how we're going to, you know, trick people into the kingdom or anything like that. It's about being the people that God wants us to be. And as we grow in our faith and as we walk with Him, we can't help but send people to Christ. Now, I have no doubt that if we really wanted to, we could guilt trip you into telling more people about Jesus. And here's what I mean. I mean, we could, we could, you know, make you feel guilty that you're not doing more. And I could use all kinds of devices and schemes and things like that and sad stories and scary stories and things like that to, to, to make you feel like, oh, I need to tell more people about Christ. And we could arrange programs and days and times for you to go out and knock on doors and spread the news about Jesus Christ. And there is certainly nothing wrong with going out and spreading the news of Jesus Christ. But let, let, let me make this very clear. When you know Jesus Christ personally and you love him for who he is because of his shed blood as the Lamb of God, 
when you truly love Him and you want to know Him more and you search for His truth and His Word, you search to know Him more and you seek to obey Him more, you will not be able to contain yourself about telling others about Jesus Christ. You will send people to Christ. That's what I want in God's church. I trust that's what He wants in us, that we would be a people who love Him so that we don't need to have devices and schemes to guilt trip you into going out and telling people about Jesus because you just will naturally do it. You won't be able to stop yourself. John's teaching wasn't about John, was it? It was about Jesus. And praise God for that. I praise God for John's testimony, that it was about Jesus. In fact, John begins to fade into the background in this passage, and we don't see much of him again, but for a brief glimpse in chapter 3. Have you ever thought about that as you read the Gospel of John? John the Baptist kind of fades out of the scene. Why? Because it's about Jesus. It's not about John, right? John was all about making it about Jesus. And even, even when people came and questioned him and asked him about himself, he always turned it back to Jesus. John was all about pointing people to Christ and sending them to follow Christ. That's why verse 37 says that when, when the two who had been following John's teaching heard him say, Behold the Lamb of God, they followed Jesus. Because that's what John's teaching had been all about. It was the natural next step. Now, the rest of the gospel of, of John is about Jesus. It is about Jesus' ministry. Now, verse 37 shows us the natural, spontaneous reaction of one who's heard the truth and believes that Jesus is the Lamb of God. You follow Christ. And notice that John didn't send them in so many words. He didn't use words. He didn't say, he didn't, in this passage, we don't see it. He doesn't say, you follow him. I've been saying that. That's, that was basically, that's the gist of his teaching. That was the whole idea of his teaching. But in this account, we don't see him saying, hey, you two, follow him now. Right? You don't see that. And you don't see Jesus saying, hey, hey, you two, follow me. Jesus doesn't say that. John doesn't say go. Jesus doesn't say come. What happened? They went. Why? Because God was working in their hearts. Right? God was doing what? He was drawing them to himself. And they went. John says nothing here about following Christ, but that's what his ministry was all about. Is that what you're all about? I trust it is. I hope that's what you're all about. That you live your life and you go through your day and you, I mean, all kinds of stuff. You, you do all kinds of things for God's glory because you're about pointing people to Christ. Have you ever thought about your life that way? I hope you're starting to think about your life that way. As we're studying John's gospel, that we're beginning to realize, you know what, all of our life, every breath I take, every, every move, you know, every thought, every action, every, every word, it takes a person who's sold out to Christ to think that way, doesn't it? Who says, I want to honor God with, with everything that I do. Whether it's out, I don't know, you know, um, getting my mail. How can you honor God as you get your mail? You have neighbors, right? So do I. It's our goal in life to get all of our neighbors to wave back. It's my goal in life to get all of our neighbors to wave back, right? Well, I don't know. We, we joke around at the house. There's one fellow we're having a hard time with who just doesn't want to wave back. But we try really hard, right? How can you honor God as you get to mail? Smile as you go get your mail. 
I'm not saying that that's the only witness you can have, but it's a start, right? God will use you as you honor him in every step of your life, as you point people, as you send people to Christ. Send them to Jesus. It's about Jesus. It's not about you. So we talked about John's perspective, right? In John's perspective and from his perspective, what happens in the life of an individual who's who's telling others about Christ and, and living for Christ and sold out to the one who's the Lamb of God and believes that Jesus is the Lamb of God is they send people, right? That's what happens. What happens when you're a follower of Christ and you become a follower of Christ, when you begin to believe? What happens when there's a John in your life who's telling you about Christ and there's God in your life who's drawing you to, to himself? What happens is, and some of you said it when I first asked the question, you follow Christ, right? When somebody's sending you, you follow. What happens when you believe that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away your sin? You follow the one who takes away your sin, right? Because that's remarkable. No one else can do that. Verse 37 says that the two disciples follow Jesus, and this indicates, I think, more than just merely following along the way, you know, just following along the path. Jesus was passing by, and they followed. I, it's, it's, it means more than that. It means more than they just simply followed him away from the scene. Yes, they're following Christ away from the scene, but they were also committing themselves to him because John had been teaching them. That becomes more clear when we see Jesus' question in verse 38. And we're going to spend more time here tonight about why this is an important question. But let's briefly think about this. Here, here are the first words of Christ in John's Gospel, verse 38. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to him, What are you seeking? And you say, huh, so, so what? What are you seeking? Yeah. There's more to it. <laughs> There's more to it than that. Because remember, this is Jesus, and he knows their hearts, and he knows what they're seeking, right? But he wants them to think about what they're seeking. And really, this has wonderful implications for us as we think about what we're seeking when we're seeking Christ, which we're going to talk about tonight. But but think about this. Jesus knows he's being followed, and he turns and he inquires, saying, What are you seeking, or, or what do you want? What is it you want? And really, this question of Christ goes far deeper than a simple, courteous, you know, can I help you? I see you're following me. What can I do for you? It's more than that. It's more than just a, a courteous response. Jesus knows their hearts, right? Why? How, how can God know their hearts? I mean, well, I just gave away the answer, didn't I? How can Jesus know their hearts, right? Because he's God in human flesh. The Sunday school answer says it's God, right? Yes, it is. It's Jesus, God in human flesh. And he knows their hearts. He knows their their desires and their longings, but he's challenging them nonetheless. He knows they're not simply interested in following him around, right? It's not as if he's asking what they want this moment. He's he's challenging their motives. He's challenging their thinking and their motives for wanting to follow him. And this is Jesus' question for all mankind today. You know, if you know your New Testament, you know that this isn't the only time Jesus asked people questions like this, and he didn't always get this kind of response that he that he got in this passage. Remember, there was the rich young man who came to Jesus and 
said, what do I do? And Jesus said, sell everything you have. <laughs> because it's not, not really about selling everything you have. It's, the thing, it's about the thing that you're clinging to, right? And Jesus knew the thing he was clinging to was his riches. And Jesus said, get rid of your riches and then you can follow me. And the man went away sad. Why? Because he was rich. And he didn't want to get rid of, get rid of those things, right? In this case, it's a different story. Jesus knows he's been being followed. He knows their hearts. He wants to test them. He's challenging them to examine their own desires, their own motives. And this is Jesus' question for all mankind today. What is it you really want with Jesus? That's an important question. What is it you really want with Jesus? And it's a sad day that we're living in because all over the airwaves and all over the internet and all over the place in print, there are those who take the gospel and twist it to make you think that you can have your wildest imagination come true in Jesus. And Jesus isn't about fulfilling your wildest imagination apart from Christ. He's about changing you and making you his own and shaping you from the inside out and changing your passions and your desires to be godly passions and desires and fulfilling your dreams in Christ. Fulfilling your desires in Christ. Not the wildest dreams you can think of outside of Christ because you can't imagine what Jesus Christ can do for you. But in Christ, He changes you. And so it's not as if he's asking, you know, why are you following me now and what is it I can do for you right now? He's, he's saying, what are your motives for following me? What is it you want with Christ? And they said to him, I love this. This is, I probably couldn't even have come up with a question this good myself. Because they're probably put on the spot just a little bit and they're probably embarrassed and a little bit backwards about this. And I'm guessing that's where this question comes from because they said to him, Rabbi, and John interprets this for us. It, it means teacher. What, what do they say? They say, uh, 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 where, uh, where, uh, where are you staying? Yeah, yeah, that's the question. Where are you staying? <laughs> right? Where are you staying? <laughs> uh, that's kind of a strange question. Where are you staying? But I believe there's more to it than that too. And Jesus having turned and asked them this question, it may have been they were just a little bit surprised, just a little bit embarrassed. So their question is, where are you staying? It's kind of a strange question. But their interest in Jesus wasn't really about where he was staying, was it? It wasn't about where he was staying. Their question was more or less like a polite way of saying, can we go where you're going so that we can hang out with you for a while? And pick your brain, you know, ask questions and, you know, learn. Because John's been teaching us all this stuff and he just pointed at you and said, you're the Lamb of God. And we have questions. We have lots of questions. And can we just kind of go where you're going and be with you for, for a while so we can have our questions answered? This isn't some simple inquiry. They're committing themselves to him. We want to know you. Is the idea. We want to go with you. We want to follow you. We want to know you. We want to know you more. And Jesus knows this. And he knows their hearts. He knows their interest in him is genuine. And so he says to them, Come, and you will see. Come, and you will see. So they came, verse 39, and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. 
come and you will see, isn't simply come look where I'm staying. It isn't come come check out my pad, right? It's not come check out where I'm staying. He's saying, come along. You follow me. Jesus is welcoming them to come along. This was really what they were hoping to hear. And they're asking their bashful question about where he's staying. This is really what they wanted. Yes, he said, come with me. Yes, that's what we wanted. And it's late in the day. It says it's the tenth hour, which means it's about four o'clock in the afternoon. So it's that time of year. It's starting to get dark earlier. It's about time to look for a place to stay for the night. And they went with Jesus and spent the rest of the day together. And these two likely stayed the night where Jesus was staying. And just, I don't know, can you imagine spending the rest of the evening with Jesus and maybe even staying up late talking into the night? You know, you do that sometimes when you've been around people you haven't been around for a long time. And, and they've never been with Jesus. And here they have all the teaching that John has been giving them. And, and they have questions and they want to know Jesus and they want to follow him. Could you imagine being with Jesus that evening, the rest of the day? That's what the two wanted. Long evening to talk with Jesus. And this is what happens when you believe in Jesus. Listen, this is what happens when you believe in Jesus, the Lamb of God. You follow Him. And you long to know Him more. You follow Him and you long to know Him more. If you're a follower of Christ, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, you can't get enough of Him. You want to know Him more. These two took the first steps in following Christ. It was late in the day, but they gave no concern for where they were staying. They weren't concerned about where they were staying. They wanted to know about the Lamb of God. They just wanted to know more about Christ. And if they truly wanted to know Christ, it's because, and I touched on it earlier, the Father had drawn them. You realize that? When you want to know Christ, it's because God has been drawing you. God the Father had been drawing them. Jesus says himself in John 6.44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. No one. Jesus never turns away a true seeker, does he? He never turns away someone who truly wants to know him. God says in Jeremiah 29.13, and this is a wonderful passage that's probably a favorite of yours as it is mine. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. What a promise. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. Let me just ask you to examine your own life now. Think about yourself and your, and your thinking and your, your true passions and desires. What is it you really want with Christ? Do you truly want to know Him? Do you truly want to know Him? Or do you just want what you hope He'll give you? Just what you want. Do you really want to know Him? Might I draw your attention back to the book? (laughs) Because this is how God has made himself known to you. Do not neglect the book. 
Do not neglect the treasure of God's Word because if you truly want to know Jesus, you'll want to know His Word. Read God's Word. If you don't read the Bible, maybe you need to start start small and pick a book and just read through it a few times and let it sink in and just begin taking bigger and bigger bites of God's Word as you keep reading and keep reading. Do not neglect the precious treasure that God gave us in revealing Himself to us in His Word. Do you truly want to know Him? I trust you do. Now look at what happens next. And this likely means the next day. Likely this took place on the next day, the following day. Verses 40 and 41. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah. And John translating again for us, which means Christ. Now we know, now we know that one of the two who left John's side to follow Jesus is Andrew, right? Now it doesn't say here who the other one was, who the other unnamed disciple is. It doesn't say, but many think the evidence points to the other disciple being John the Apostle, the author of the Gospel of John. And that's very likely the case, since so much of the Gospel of John is from an eyewitness account, someone who had to be close to these these events that were taking place, because so many of the, the events and the details that are available, one detail in particular is when he account, accounts for the time of day, like he does in this passage, points to someone who had to be there to know what time of day it was. And so many think it's John the Apostle, who's the other unnamed disciple. I'd say that they're probably right. I think that's probably who this is, but we don't know that. Now, do you see what Andrew does the next day after they followed Jesus to where he was staying? What does he do the next day? It says he first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah. It means Christ. We found the Messiah. What happens when you believe that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away your sin? Here's what happens when you're overwhelmed by the love of God in Jesus Christ. You will bring people to Christ. You will bring people yourself to Christ. You will bring them to him. Not only will you send them, but you'll take them by the hand and bring them What do I mean by that? You won't be satisfied is what I mean. You won't be satisfied to only send them, to only tell them about Christ, but you'll bring them to Him. You'll explain the way of salvation and forgiveness of sin and the sacrifice that was His for them. You'll explain and you'll take them to Him. Look at it in verse 42. After Andrew tells his brother Simon, we have found the Messiah, it says, He brought Him to Jesus Andrew wasn't content to simply tell Simon, was he? He wasn't content to just, hey, I found, you know, we were just out the other day with John and we found the Messiah and you should go look for him too. That wouldn't be nice, would it? That wouldn't be kind. Listen, you find treasure, you better come and get me and take me to it, alright? And Jesus Christ is a treasure, right? Andrew wasn't content just to tell Simon about Christ, he had to show him and take him to Christ. And I think this is significant here because it points to what's likely the most effective method of evangelism. 
you want to know how to point somebody to Christ, you start with the people you know. <laughs> right? Andrew took his brother. Here's the most effective witnessing method there is. It's sister who witnesses to sister. It's brother who witnesses to brother. It's it's mother who witnesses to children. It's father who witnesses to children. It's children who witness to parents. My father witnessed to his parents and led them to Christ. The most effective method of evangelism on planet earth is when you share Christ with someone you know. It's husband to wife. It's wife to husband. It's friend to friend. It's coworker to coworker. It's neighbor to neighbor. That's the first thing Andrew did when he found Christ. He took his brother, Simon, to Christ. And verse 42 says, Jesus looked at him and said, So you are Simon, the son of John. Jesus gives Simon this. It's really, he looks at him and it's really kind of a searching, knowing look. So you are Simon, the son of John. John was a common name. We don't know much about Simon's father, but look at what Jesus says next, verse 42. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. And this too, I think, is remarkable because Jesus looked at Simon. Get this. Jesus looked at Simon and saw what he would be. He wasn't, he wasn't Cephas. He wasn't Peter yet. You know what Peter means? He wasn't rock yet. This is remarkable. Jesus looks at Simon and saw that he would be Cephas. He would be Peter. He would be rock. Jesus gives Simon a new name, Cephas. The Apostle John translates and tells us it's Peter. Usually, have you ever noticed this? It's usually when somebody gets a new name, why do they get a new name? Because of something they've done, right? I mean, think of people who have kind of gotten a tag added to their name. Alexander the Great, right? Um, others, right? You get, a, you get a new name. Why? Because it's something you've done. Or maybe it's something that you are. I joke around our house, if you have a, a, a word on your shirt, that's your name for the day. For As far as I'm concerned, that's what I call you, whatever your shirt says. You know, It's a lot easier, isn't it? It's a lot easier that way. It's because of something you are, right? It's either because of something you are or something you've done. Not in Simon's case. Not Simon. Jesus looked at Simon and saw what he would make of him. He looked at Simon and he saw what he would become as God worked in his life. Here's a clear pointer to the deity of Christ. Yes? This was not about an instant character change for Simon. Jesus says, Jesus says, you shall be. You will be. Not, not this instant. Not presto changeo, right? You're going to become this. You will be called. You shall be called Peter. You're not Peter now, but you're going to be called Peter. This was what Jesus knew Simon would become as he believed in Christ and yielded to God's work in him. This was what God, by his grace, would give to Simon. He would make him a rock. God would change him and make him a new man, a different man. He would become rock. 
And this, too, is what happens when you believe that Jesus is the Lamb of God. God changes you. Amen? This is the joy of when we bring folks into membership. One of the things that we ask of them, and many of you know this because you've been through this, we give you a piece of paper and we say, tell us about your life before Christ. Just briefly. doesn't have to be fancy. You can write a book if you want to, but just a paragraph will do. What was your life like before Christ? And then tell us how you came to Christ. What drew you to Christ? And then thirdly, tell us what your life is like now that you know Christ. And between one and three, there should be a difference, right? Because you should change before Christ and after Christ. Number four is a thing we say, you know, tell us something from God's word that gives you confidence you're God's child, that gives you assurance of your salvation. But but I love looking at the difference between one and three. Because before Christ, right, we're sinners, we're lost. We're just wallowing about in our sin. We think we're enjoying ourselves, but most of the time we realize we're not. Right? And then after Christ, what happens? We change. Why? Because God changes you. He does it from the inside out. He makes you a new man. He makes you a new woman. He makes you a new teenager. He makes you a new young person, a new child. Because He gives you new life. He gives you new life. And the point here is not what you become for your glory. It wasn't for Peter's glory that he became rock. It was for God's glory. It's not what you become for your glory. It's what God makes you for his glory. And God is making you into his own image for his glory. And if you know your New Testament, you know that Simon Peter was not a rock. Right? Not at first. (laughs) You know... That he was at times timid. Yes, he was timid. He was you know, vacillating. You couldn't nail him down. He was impetuous. Often he was the first one to make a decision and jump in a certain direction. And he was also the first one to change his mind. <laughs> right? We would have called him uh, a big talker. Right? Big bark, little bite. Because that was that was that was Simon. That wasn't Peter. That was Simon. That was before he he came became rock. I love one commentary I was reading this week pointed to this fact and said that it's very interesting as you look at uh, at, at Simon being called Simon in the New Testament. Whenever Jesus calls Peter Simon, it's like a reminder: Simon, you're not being Peter. You're not being the rock that I've called you to be. And so when he calls him Simon, it's kind of like a subtle reminder that, you know, you're not living up to what I've called you to be. And when he calls him Peter, it's like an attaboy, attaboy when he calls him Peter. And when he calls him Simon Peter, it's like, I'm trying to get your attention here. You're not doing what you're supposed to be. I thought, you know, it's kind of like being called by your mom by your first two names, right? Simon Peter, right? It's like, I know, you know what you're supposed to be. Simon wasn't Peter, was he, at first? He became Peter. Why? Because when you believe that Jesus is the Lamb of God, He gives you new life, and He makes you new, and He changes you. This is what happens when you believe that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God. That's why it's so important that you believe that Jesus is the Lamb of God. You follow Christ. And when you do, God changes you and He 
And he does so for his glory, not yours. He does so so that people will see him living through you. And as a result, you will make him known. You will not be able to keep from telling people about Christ. And you will do it in a multitude of ways. And as a result, you'll make him known and you will not only send people to follow Christ, but you will bring people to follow Christ. You will not be content to say, he's the way. You'll show them the way to Christ. Look to the Lamb of God and believe. Look to the Lamb of God and believe. Look to the Lamb of God, will you? And believe. Look to the Lamb of God and have your sins taken away. Because He's the one who takes away your sin, who paid the price for your sin, who shed his blood for you. Look to the Lamb of God and live. Live like never before. Bow your head with me, would you please? Father in heaven, how precious your word. Oh God, how precious your word. We thank you for the privilege of of being able to open the word together this morning and to give your word our attention. God, I want to be bold and ask for your blessing in our lives. For having opened your word today. God, would you bless us and encourage us and strengthen us and equip us and convict us of sin that we need to confess and get right with you. Bless us with your word. Help us to believe in Jesus Christ. Help us to look to the Lamb of God and be forgiven our sins and to believe and live. Father, I pray that you would strengthen us daily to keep looking to the Lamb of God, to keep looking to his word, to seek to know Him more, to seek to be more like Christ, for Christ's glory, that others will know Him also. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.